you need to have the people in the process involved because you want to sustain that change. And that's where leadership and culture is absolutely critical. If you're aiming for excellence in your leadership role, today's episode is tailor-made for you. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by your business? Almost as if it's dictating terms to you. Well, the key might just be integrating process improvement into your strategy. And to guide us through this approach, we have Chuck Nabush. Chuck isn't just any consultant. He's a genuine authority of process improvement. With years under his belt, Chuck has been the go-to for many leaders struggling with inefficient meetings, missed targets, overblown budgets, and the challenge of juggling professional and personal lives. These are my three key takeaways from my conversation with Kevin. Awesome, mate. Awesome. All right, mate. I want to, we're going to dive into this topic around process improvement, but what I'd like you to explain, first of all, is you've written a book. It's called Hope is Not a Business Strategy. Can you just tell me uh, briefly what that phrase means to you? Well, that started back, oh, I don't know, it's been 15, 20 years ago, maybe. And I was a production manager at a plant, actually over multiple facilities um, at a campus that we had. And every year we had to go ahead and do annual operating planning. It was not the most exciting for everybody. But I was responsible for like bringing in my managers, my supervisors and say, okay, guys, what are we going to do next year? Sales has given us our projections. This is what they think they can go ahead and do. Um, because we were making components and parts, we had to break the finished unit sales back down into, you know, on an average, how many components and parts do we make to go into each finished unit to go ahead and kind of get an understanding of what are we going to go ahead and do. Well, from that, then we had to break that down into well, what materials are we going to need, what kind of labor to go ahead and achieve that. And sales, of course, could do it by quarter. Sometimes maybe they'd break it down by month. We had to go ahead and provide it at least by month, but a lot of times we wanted to break it down by week. So not necessarily an exciting and a fun process, because along with that, we also had to overcome what we call our, our economics. We all like raises. Um, you know, We knew that healthcare costs were going to go up. We knew that certain supplier costs were going to go up. As much as our, our procurement team was going to fight to go ahead and, and make those as small as possible, they were going to go up here and there. So we needed to overcome economics first and then go ahead and start to push back. Because, again, we don't want to go ahead and always push out a, a, a cost increase to our customers, which were the other plants, but ultimately to our consumers. Because, again, you can't always, you can't always just get, raise the price every year and have everybody happy. So, yeah, it was a struggle, and as we did it, uh, you know, people would, would kind of throw up their hands, and they would go, oh, we got to do this again. I'm like, well, what do you want us to do? Just just tell corporate, we're going to hope. You know, hope is not a business strategy. You know, they give us numbers of what they want to go ahead and do in sales. We need to give them numbers of what we're going to go ahead and do to support that from an operational standpoint. Yes, it was not the easiest thing. In some cases, it was not 
some aspects were not the most fun. But realistically, that's where you got a chance to kind of play what if for the whole year. Um, I mean, you could go ahead and kind of set aside your existing stresses and pressures of, of hitting that number today to say, hey, what do we think that number is? And again, we're operations people, so we would generally be far more far more realistic, far more pragmatic, for, far more conservative than the salespeople. Salespeople, oh, we're going to do a 10% increase next year. Yeah, well, for the last five years, we've seen nothing more than a 3%, so we'll plan for a 4.5%, and those are the numbers we're going to go ahead and submit. doesn't sound like sales to be so optimistic at all, mate. <laughs> I really like the... Again, hope is business strategy. It's it's not a, a new term, but certainly there's so many people and so many businesses out there that seem to survive or, or want to survive on hope. I think it's a good metaphor for life, isn't it? Like a, a good life is not built on hope. You've got to put some direction, put some stakes in the ground, put some goals in place and, and work towards those deliberately. As far as your experience, you spent a lot of time in those oper- operational spaces and process improvement type areas. What is process improvement to the novice? Like, how do you how do you define it? Well, I mean, uh, kind of start with a process, and a process is just what do we want to get out of a, a series of steps that are going to get repeated over and over and over to come up with the same deliverable. Now, that can be a service, or it can go ahead and be a product. I mean, I, I come from more of a product background, but even with the products that we would go ahead and produce, there was a service component because it had to go ahead and deliver in a timely manner or the customer couldn't go ahead and use it. You know, it's not good enough to say, hey, you ordered 100 widgets, I delivered a, or I made 100 widgets, but they got there a week late because now it could go ahead and affect their operations and shut down their operations. So a process is just a series of steps and you want to go ahead and control it in such a way that very consistently that deliverable at the end comes out each and every time the exact same way. And my experience around this, whenever process improvement or specifically process mapping type things come up, people sort of roll their eyes a bit, certainly those that don't know. What's been your experience and what are the what is that roll the eye moment that people find, oh, geez, not this again? Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, it, it's a very small select group who... who really rally around process improvement and enjoy it because it's like, it's like documenting. I mean, I was a programmer at one point in time, love to write programs. Nobody loves to maintain them. Everybody even hates to maintain them even worse if there's no documentation. What process improvement starts with is we have to document the process. We have to understand every one of the steps. We can't skip a step. Now, I mean, the neat thing is once you have that documentation, whether it's out on the manufacturing floor, it's in the HR department, it's in customer service. You, you now have a training tool, so the next new person who comes in, we can train them on the exact way. We don't go ahead and turn over to, hey, Bob, go ahead and train the, the new guy who just came in. And Bob says, well, I went through training 20 years ago, and yeah, I've kind of made some shortcuts, and well, but is the outcome exactly the same? So, I mean, to me, creating the process map, creating the outlining the process and having that, it's a phenomenal thing because it can be used for training, it can be used for education, be used for auditing. I mean, our audit department loved when we had process maps. It can be used by manufacturing continuous improvement. It can be used by quality. 
because we can start to take a look at the map and say, does the map match the actual? And if there's a deviation, is the deviation causing a problem or is it, a, is it an improvement? And if it's an improvement, let's go ahead and update the documentation. Again, not something that's sexy or exciting for most people, but it was something that was required because we have to go ahead and ensure that that documentation matches what's actually going on. What are some of the counter arguments you've experienced that, you know, trying to get that level of engagement from people and, and leaders specifically that may think, well, no, this is not for me. This is not for my business. I don't need it. Well, every, oh, I know what the process is. Oh, I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, oh, yeah, you know, it, it takes time to go ahead and document the process and audit it to make sure it's, it's real. You know, we've got the documentation with it. What am I ever going to use the documentation? What happens when it changes? Now I've got to go ahead and do this all over again. So there's a lot of excuses out there. And there's a little bit of truth to each one of them. Yes, it does take time. Yes, it does take resources. Um, yes, you're going to have to go ahead and do it again. But that needs to be part of the mindset. And if you can find somebody who owns the process, generally they, they will be excited to go ahead and have that documentation. I mean, a new process owner, you know, you change hands, the, the business does, or corporate, um, somebody gets promoted, somebody comes in to replace them. If you have the, that process documentation, they have a, a good way to learn about the process even before they step out into what Valene would call Gemba, which is where work happens. Um, and that can be in an office, that can be out on a manufacturing floor. But I found it real valuable when I was moving um, from our corporate headquarters down to a manufacturing facility to understand the processes, to try and get those process maps to say, okay, I have a good idea of what I'm going to go ahead and see. I understand it may or may not match, but I'll have a good idea before I, I step out on the floor so you know I know what I'm looking at, or at least I can go ahead and develop some intelligent questions to go ahead and ask. In the big basket of continuous improvement, what value, what importance do you put on this sexy thing of process mapping? Well, there's a lot of different types of process mapping, and I think each one has its own value. I mean, when we talk about it, a lot of people are just kind of talking about the flow chart. Here's all the different steps, and this is what we do. But there's another one called value stream mapping, where we go ahead and look at every, every step that adds value, every step where we're moving inventory that may or may not add value, may be required, and, you know, where do we have piles of inventory that we don't need? Well, my former employer, we did that back around 2006, 2007, and decided we wanted to go ahead and go cellular. And we were able to pull $35 million out of our operation by looking at a value stream of map, which convinced us to go cellular, which really got us down into kind of one-piece flow. So we didn't have the, the wood department building hundreds of frames and then the upholstery department looking to go ahead and upholster some of those frames. Well, upholstery department was working on different styles than what the wood department had produced in some cases. So we found it a, a, a real big value to go ahead and do it. Now, we were like a lot of people. Once we did it, we didn't always maintain the documentation. So when we back, went back a number of years later and we wanted to go ahead and uh, deploy a, a enterprise resource planning 
computer system over everything. We had to reprocess map everything. We didn't have to do the value stream, but we had to reprocess map everything just so we could go ahead and understand the touch points where the computer system was going to go ahead and interact with the, the physical manufacturing floor. So, you know, there is a lot of value. And I mean, I think to do, we did the order to cash process and all the sub processes there, whether it was scheduling, procurement, um, shipping, um, you know, material movement, the actual building of the furniture, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, it probably took us six or eight weeks to do with a team of 20 splitting up for different areas to redo all those processes that were out there and understand what was really going on out on that production floor and not by not just doing it by sitting around a room and, hey, who remembers what steps we do for this? No, going out and really working with the people doing it and having to watch them create a process map, going back and then auditing them and then seeing if they had a backup person saying, here, can you do their job just for an hour using the process that we created to, to validate that it's real? You've touched on that. I guess you mentioned earlier about one of those excuses that, that leaders, team leaders, supervisors, whatever, would make around processes. And, you know, it's like a project, you sort of do it, and then you've got to come back a couple of years later and think, have you found the, the source to make it more live in the environment where it doesn't feel like it's a reinventing the wheel each time every couple of years or, well, God help us, hey, we've got an ISO audit happening, we better get this sorted out quickly. There are companies that have changed their organization structure to fit with their processes, where they, instead of having a VP of whatever or director of whatever, they actually have, you know, a process owner of, let's say, order to cash. Well, all of a sudden now, that company is doing everything around that order to cash process and that each sub-process has a process owner. Well, now, if all of a sudden you own that process, it's inherent in your responsibilities that you want to go ahead and maintain it. And when you do make improvements, you're going ahead and improving the documentation and you're ensuring that your continuous improvement teams, hey, one of the steps in here before you're done, you need to update any steps that you did so we have a very accurate process map again going forward. So it becomes a cultural aspect. I mean, it doesn't have to be in the organization structure. I've just, I've seen that. But when you make it part of the cultural aspect of the business, all of a sudden everything becomes much easier because of that. Yeah, and I think that comes back to what you mentioned earlier as well, which I 100% agree with around mindset of continuous improvement. If you've got that mindset, again, you don't need to know, maybe if you're the leader of the business, a CEO, managing director type for it, you don't need to know the detail around, hey, I'm going to get some people together to do some process mapping or value stream mapping or whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a mindset of improvement, you know the questions to ask, don't you? You can seek the right help, the right support, whether that's an external consultant or there will be people in the business that have a certain personality style that love to get involved in process mapping or to learn that side of things. Well, and you can speed things up. Um, I was consulting back to my former employer and they had brought in some other consultants because I didn't have the, the technology insight that these other consultants had. But they wanted to spend three months learning the processes, being out on the production floor, trying to understand everything. When I said, well, well wait a second, 
I can draw you a process map and get maybe not exact, but really, really close. And we can go out and validate it in about 15, 20 minutes. And I can go ahead and take a three-month process down to a couple of days. I mean, think of the money that, that the company saved right there. Now, you could certainly say, well, some consultants don't operate that way. They don't want to be faster. And you're right. There are big consultants I've seen go into companies and they want to be there for years and years. I want to go in and help people and get back out because my job is not to go ahead and become an employee of another company. It's to go ahead and get them results and move on. I mean, I want them, it's kind of like graduating from school. I want them to graduate, do better, and do better on their own. If they have another improvement, we can come always come back and go ahead and do that. But initially, it's not for me to go ahead and become a full-time employee for the next 10 years of a particular company because they want to make a, a few improvements. Yeah, absolutely agree. Let's get really super practical, mate. Let's just the order to cash process is a very common one, although it's it's a big one to bite off if you've not gone into this pool before around process improvement. Let's let's try and pick something else. But give us a, a practical advice about hey, I've got a process in my business and I want to make some improvements to it because I know it can work better. What what are some of the things that I need to consider before I even get maybe the right people in the room or start to go to the gambler, as you say, visualize the work? I think first you have to understand what's the scope of the process, what what's going to be touched, what's going to be, and say, okay, I need team members who understand the process and who have the authority to go ahead and potentially make changes. I'm not saying ultimate authorities. We don't need to have VPs and, and directors and C-whatever, uh, uh, chief whatevers necessarily on the team. But, you know, it's got to be somebody that is trusted enough where they can say, hey, I'm recommending this process and there's a 95, 98% chance that what they say is going to go ahead and go. Because otherwise, you're spending a lot of time and then you're going to be, I still say you need to present it to those executives and keep going up, but you're going to be spending a whole lot of time where every team member, oh, stop the meeting or, hey, when the meeting's over, I've got to go ahead and try and schedule with, you know, this my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's 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 to the point where you know, you'll you won't have any momentum going forward so i think having the right people on the team making sure that they understand their function and their part of the process um i mean we had some teams where um like in in scheduling accountants weren't necessarily part of scheduling but we didn't want to go ahead and do it without an accounting review so we made them subject matter experts that we would review our findings, review our process improvements with to make sure we weren't screwing something up in the accounting structure that we weren't aware of. Because again, sometimes things touch other things. But I mean, keep the team small. I love working in teams of five to seven. Sometimes, you know, we were on a team of 20, but if we could break it down into sub teams and say, you focus on this piece, you focus on that piece, and then we'll get together weekly or daily or whatever on the bigger group to go ahead and share so what one hand's doing doesn't negatively impact another. You know, to me, it's more team dynamics at that point in time than it really is about the process. I mean, the process will get improved. It'll get mapped. It'll get, but it's all about the team and making sure you have the right people on the team. And they're, they're, they're there to go ahead and get it done. And you have to look at agendas. I mean, 
Some people may be there, well, I like the way it was, or I, I helped build some aspect of that process previously. So I, you know, and I, when I built it, I built the perfect one, should last for a hundred years. No, you have to go in with the mindset that anything can be improved. Anything can go ahead and get better. And you need to have that open mind to be able to accept that. Yeah, certainly some people can be wedded to a process for whatever reason. And I'll take your point around decision-making. Absolutely, if you can streamline that process, the better. How important it is, is it when you're actually going through a process of mapping something out, a process, to have actual people that do the process? We've done it both ways. I mean, a lot of times, the, even, even if the team didn't include the person doing the process, we would ask a couple of those people on the days that we were going through their aspect of the process, hey, can we get you for an hour? Because we understand. We don't want it. We can't maybe take a whole day of their time or a whole week of their time. But if we can get you for an hour and we can go ahead and zoom in just on that particular aspect, let's go ahead and do that aspect. We can do a successive aspect with somebody else. We can do a previous aspect with somebody else and therefore manage other people's time. Because again, this isn't about how many resources we can go ahead and burn. It's all about can we really get the information we need as quickly, as fast, as efficient as we possibly can, but ensure that it's effective, that we're getting the right information. So I think you're right. We have to go ahead and go to those people who are actually doing the work. Let's get in the room. So you mentioned flowchart type of mapping. You mentioned value stream mapping and, and there's others, but let's stick to the flowchart because in, in my experience, that's the simplest one to do. Absolutely. And, and I'm trying to keep this really, really simple for people to get uh, maybe some excitement around some of this because I personally, I've had a great opportunity in my working life and even with clients today of getting in the room with the right people and having that energy around what does a process look like. I think it's such a powerful moment because you've got the opportunity for people to generate ideas and to, to wonder about things and ask questions and then really question those questions, unpacking that stuff. And, and then you've got the people that want to just deliver on stuff. So they, they want to hurry up and make the map and so they can start delivering and improve stuff. It's, it's such a melting pot of great opportunity for people. When, when you've got this team or this, this people together to come into the room and to do something, it's maybe not, well, maybe it is okay for you to explain your very experience, to explain how you would actually run a session like that, um, or given your level of experience, if you need to change that up a little bit so that, hey, I'm thinking it through the lens of a really novice, first-timer type person that's going to go through that. Talk us through what that would look like. I'm a real simple guy. I mean, Ultimately, I'll, I'll end up putting this in, you know, a great flowcharting software and everything else. But I mean, if we have a wall or a whiteboard and post-it notes, I mean, I love post-it notes. We can create each step of the process so we can go ahead and stick it up on the wall. We don't need all the arrows. We'll just put it, you know, up there left to right to go ahead and see the flow or top to bottom, whichever works best. And as we're doing it, you know, and you can go ahead and have different people working on different pieces of it. But as it starts to come together and you start to rotate some of the people in the room, you'll find out that, well, you know, this step really comes before this other step. 
But it ends really neat. You can grab the post-it note. You can go ahead and move it over. And in an hour, maybe an hour and a half, with five to seven people who are knowledgeable about it, you can map out a pretty complex process. So realistically, a simpler process could go much, much quicker. So it doesn't take hours. It doesn't take, you know, hundreds of hours of resources uh, of people and everything else. So, I mean, if an executive happens to be the person who's most knowledgeable, you could get them in that room for that hour, that hour and a half, and you'd be surprised what you can go ahead and come out with. Once you've got all the post-it notes or you've written it out on a whiteboard, whichever works best, then you can go ahead and put it into Microsoft Visio or some other flow charting type of software. Because I think that way, now you have a document that you can kind of play with and look at. Because the post-it notes over time, they become less sticky. You can't keep putting them up on the wall forever. But it was a great tool to go ahead and start. A very simple tool, very low cost. I mean, for less than, what, 30 bucks maybe, you can go ahead and flow charges about anything. Yeah, spot on. And how, how important is it to set the context, the scope of the process you're looking at in the room? Absolutely critical, Brendan. Absolutely critical. Um, because again, we as humans, we don't always think everything through linearly. You know, we kind of squirrel and, and our, our attention jumps way over there. So, you know, it, it's important to go ahead and say, hey, this is the process. These are the boundaries. This is where we're going to start the process. This is where we're going to end the process. Um, anything that may go ahead and come in or out of the process, we're going to just use them as an input or as an output or as a measure point, but we're not going to necessarily backtrack that during this process mapping session. We may find that we want to and we need to to get more information to understand, hey, maybe we're getting bad data at this, at this point in the process. But at least for this particular meeting, this process mapping session, we're just going to go from from point A to point B, and we just want to understand what the what the inputs are, not the process necessarily to get them. We're going to want to understand what the outputs are, what the the data measurement points are, and, and just be very very focused. So what I'm hearing there is sort of be be clear on the the scope so everyone's mindsets and hey the the start of the process that we're looking at is here and the end is here and everything in between is what we're looking at so that's bringing everyone on the same page but then mapping out whatever that process is just with what it is today is that is that the sort of first step not getting into challenging questions around oh we should do this we should do that and losing the scope like just explain that a little bit more to me excuse me yeah, I mean, step one really is let's get the current. Let's let's understand what the current process is. Because as soon as you put three or four different post-it notes up, somebody's going to say, well, we could improve this. We could fix that. We could do this. And I think there is a time and a place for that. But step one is understanding what the baseline is. What are we doing today? Once we get that mapped out, um, then we're, we're going to want to go out Together, but we're going to go out to the production floor. We're going to go out to wherever this process is being enacted, and we're going to audit it. Did we get it right? I don't care how good we are. There is a chance that we as humans have taken a shortcut someplace. We said, well, you know, that's 
I kind of do it this way. And somebody else said, well, I do it that way. What's the way that's actually being done? So, I mean, you may go ahead and create some question marks and say, hey, we don't quite understand this aspect right here. And as we're auditing, we're going to go ahead and get, and get some clarification here if we can't bring in uh, somebody doing it or an expert or something like that. Then you go ahead and document it. So everybody has, has a document. Let them look at it. Let, let them review it a little bit. And then set the next meeting objective is, okay, you know, our scope for that one is we want to go ahead and look at this process and we want to improve it by 10%, 3%, whatever. And these are the requirements that we need to go ahead and get out of it. And these are the limits because sometimes a regulation, a law, a rule, um, physical limits, there are sometimes things that we cannot change. I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, we have, but none of us live in that perfect world. So let's let's talk about you know those types of items also um, before we go into that next meeting, just so everybody's aware of them. And you'd be surprised what your subconscious can go ahead and come up with before you even get into the meeting, and people will be firing off with with all sorts of all sorts of, of different ideas. But again, if you can print out the the document you have on a big plotter, if you don't have resources for that, you can always go ahead and remap it with your post-its. Now take a different color post-it as to, I think we can change this. And what do we think the outcome will be? I think we can change this other aspect. And what's the outcome going to go ahead and be? Then we can add up all the outcomes. Are we, gonna, are we hitting our target? Are we 50% of the way there? Are we 90% of the way there? We can go ahead and look at some of the changes. And then we can start Next time, bring in those experts and say, can we make this change? Is it feasible? And again, you're going to get some pushback. Some people are going to say, well, no. First word out of their mouth, no. Well, yeah, I don't take that first no. Let's dig in and find out why we can't. And as we explore why we can't, we may go ahead and better understand some aspect that we didn't capture in that first process map, some detail, some nuance and say, okay, well, is there another way we can go ahead and do it so we can overcome that obstacle? And you'd be, again, surprised. Within a couple of weeks, you can go ahead and have a process map. You can go ahead and have an outline of what changes you need to make to go ahead and achieve whatever the scope of that team is or whatever that goal and objective of that team is to make changes to make a certain level of improvement. use that famous word why a couple of times and there is a very very complex tool called the five whys in the whole business improvement world um may seem like a leader question but how important it is is that word that question why from a mindset perspective and improvement perspective in that world oh absolutely critical you know and i know when i first learned the five whys it's like man, I'm going to go ahead and, and whoever I'm asking the whys to, they're at some point in time, the third, the fourth why, they're going to go ahead and want to reach across the desk and hit me. But, but again, you know, you have to kind of step back. You have to understand. You have to kind of go through it, trust the process a little bit to make the improvement and, and understand the why. Because sometimes it's, well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, why? Well, that's the way I was trained and, and it may get to, well, we never had documented it before, so... I only learned from tribal knowledge. You know, Betty taught me and Sue taught her and Bob taught her. And that goes back, you know, three generations, four generations type of thing. Well, you know, what can we go ahead and do? 
it may be that business conditions have changed. So, you know, that might be overcome one of the whys. I mean, we all went through COVID not too long ago. And realistically, who had planned that? And yet business conditions change. And I don't know about in Australia, but like in here in the U.S., a lot of restaurants are shut down. The successful ones are the ones who said, well, we may not be able to operate as a sit-down restaurant, but we can operate as a takeout. We can still employ the chef or chefs or whatever, you know, a couple wait staff to, to handle the register and to take it out to people's cars and that kind of thing. But I mean, they changed the mindset. They looked at what are the value adding steps in providing food from their restaurant to customers. And they said, well, these are the ones that we're going to go ahead and keep. Now, did they do it through mapping out a process? Probably not. Because for a lot of these restaurant owners, they'd been owners for lots of years, it became intuitive to them. And, and I think that's great. But realistically, how much better would it have been had they been able to map it out if they had had that process map? Um, because again, I'm sure they made a number of mistakes getting from you know, pre-COVID to operating during COVID. Um, and, and even the regulations were changing throughout that. But I mean, if they had had kind of a bit of a process map, could they have done it quicker, faster, easier, with less pain, more efficiency, and more effectiveness? Maybe. Yeah, good point. Ultimately, continuous improvement has to sit on a basis of finding the standard, understanding the standard, which, again, process mapping helps with a lot. Um, how common, given you've spent a lot of time in this space, how common is it that when there's more than one person doing a job or a process, let's say, that it's even a bit of a challenge to get the standard? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we as humans love to improve things. We love to find shortcuts. We love to go ahead and lessen the workload, especially on ourselves, and find what we would claim is a better way to do it. When I became a production manager at one of our plants, about 200 people, brought you know each shift in, and I said, hey, and this was a, a, a heavy working. They would take sheets of plywood, they would load them on machines, routers, saws, cut parts, and then they would take the parts and they would stack it. But I mean, a sheet of plywood is heavy. It was uh, an area we could not air condition, so the environment was not the best. Heavy sawdust, I mean, even though we had um, blowers and everything else to minimize it, it was hot, it was heavy work, it was dirty work. And when when I first met with them, I hadn't, I mean, I'd walked around the, the plant, but when I first met with them, I said, well, we are using your muscles and your physicality every single day to go ahead and do this job. What I want from you more than anything else is your mind. They're like, what? We've never heard that before. Why would you want my mind? I said, well, I want to go out there and I want to learn kind of how you do it. You guys have five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years experience. There is no way that I will go ahead and ever get as good as you are because you found the shortcuts. And yes, I'm going to want the shortcuts. Well, you're going to take money away from me. No, no, no. What I'm going to go ahead and try and do is make sure that as we have to make our annual improvement projects, I'm going to go ahead and, yeah, we're going to find shortcuts in there in ways that make sense to the company so you guys can go ahead and get your raise again next year. They said, we've never been talked to like this. 
I said, I don't know why. I mean, to me, it was just common sense. But again, that was not always the way leadership and management worked as you go back in time. So, I mean, I think it's a lot about leadership. It's a lot about mindset. It's a lot about understanding, you know, what it is. And there were times we would find one router and a diff- and another router, as you say, two different people, actually it was four on the team, two different routers doing things slightly differently. Well, is one way better? Is one way easier on your body? Can you go home less tired, less exhausted? Is one way more efficient that we can get more parts out of it? Um, and, you know, from that, we were able to make all sorts of improvements. We ultimately ended up buying new routers that loaded the plywood for them, taking out the heaviest thing, where they'd only have to pick up the loose parts after they were cut. They loved it. And I said, it's because we ask you what the problems were, what the obstacles, why can't you work faster? Well, Chuck, this is a four foot by eight foot sheet of plywood. It's heavy. I've got to pick it up. I've got to set it in there just right. You know, we've got to go ahead and flip it. Well, once we understood that, why can't the machine do that part? And and it was an absolutely amazing, yeah, there was some capital expenditure, but it was an absolutely amazing thing, both for the employees as well as my CI team um, and the whole production team to go ahead and say, there are ways to do things better if we can go ahead and have those conversations. But we have to be honest. We can't say, well, I'm doing it right according to the process. No, we have to go out there and watch are we doing it according to the process? And if not, what shortcuts have we taken and why? Well, you know, because my back's killing me today. Okay, so how do we go ahead and make it an, an improvement so your back's not killing you the next day and the day after that? Um, so you're right. We, need to, we always need a benchmark. We need to have a standard. We need to understand what that standard is. And, you know, some people would say, oh, well, once, you're, once you're doing better than the standard, you don't need to be looking at that process because it's doing better. Well, but are there unintended consequences? So whether, whether anytime you're deviating from the standard, better or worse, it's certainly a signal to go take a look at that process again and say, what do we need to do? It may be we just need to update the documentation. It may be it's time to do another continuous improvement. It may be that we're not understanding some aspect of the process as we had previously mapped it out, and business conditions have changed or conditions have changed. The, the tools on the router may have worn out. You know, there's all sorts of variables that you're not always going to show in every process map. I mean, you can, but chances are when you're just mapping out a process, you're not thinking about tool wear. You're not thinking about um, all sorts of other things. I mean, there are aspects of continuous improvement that look at that, but not necessarily in process mapping. So, you know, take a look at that, find out what that is, and see what's, what's changed, and ask why. Yeah, great, great story. When you... Uh, you've mapped the process and checked the process, gone to the gimba, gone to the place of work, made some adjustments through inevitably through these conversations that are happening, there's improvement opportunities and recording those. How important is it when you're getting to those improvement opportunities and making decisions on what's going to move forward to start with, given that we can't 
know, it's not often we can do everything all at once in these sort of opportunities to get those sort of low-hanging fruit all those good wins from a momentum future engagement perspective that sort of context for those actually on the ground doing stuff whether that's in a manufacturing or a service delivery type environment well i mean you could go ahead and look at it qualitatively and say where's your pain where's your biggest pain point and maybe that's what we want to look at you can look at it quantitatively because the process will be showing you some level of pain through some performance measure quite possibly um you can go ahead and look at you know where where do you get your biggest return you know and biggest return and maybe smallest cost so i mean that may go ahead and be an approach it may be what's the easiest to do and we can get everybody on board very easy to go ahead and and build that foundation where hey they did that we we understand that that works so you know sometimes it's like that i mean one of the things that when we started doing like 5s and, and some of the lean stuff a lot of companies start that maybe in their cafeteria. You think, why? There's not necessarily a value add. But if you could show them that if you, if the, the uh, napkin dispenser is always in this one location, if the, the spoons, the forks, and knives are always in this one location, and they know exactly where to get it, you can then have the conversation, well, wouldn't that work in your, your work area? That when you go ahead and need a hammer, it's always in that exact place? Because I don't know about you. I mean, I don't do as much 5S around the house as I should. But when I'm working on a project, where did that wrench go? Where did, where did that pliers go? Where did that hammer go? And it's probably all within reach, but it's never within reach right where I thought I had put it. And those are the types of things. Because once you have a story like that, you can go ahead and have that story again. And people will, will remember it. How do we go ahead and apply it? Maybe on a little bit bigger scale. But, it, you know, it kind of depends on... The situation that the business is in. I mean, it may be, hey, they don't have the resources to go ahead and do the big bang, to do the big ROI thing, that they need to do something smaller. Or they need a quick win to go ahead and start to build credibility with that CI team. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of businesses, it's a CI team that goes, that comes in to go ahead and do this, where it really needs to go ahead and be, you know, a lot more of the, the people doing the process. Because if it's a CI team that well, they fixed it for me, well, no, you need to have the people in the process involved because you want to sustain that change. And that's where leadership and culture is absolutely critical, is sustaining those, those changes. Because once they start to backslide, then you have to redo them all over. And, and you, have to, you can't say, well, we did this before. We need to just put this back in. There's a lot of truth to that but you're now going to have to convince people all over and you've lost their confidence that you're going to go ahead and put it in and leave it in. I know when we tried to make one of the, the, the changes in how to do upholstery, well, we had kind of done that years ago. It lasted three months and we can outlast this. That was the mindset on the production floor. And we're like, no, th that's that did happen in the past. Absolutely. But realistically, people, this is a life and death type of thing. If we don't go ahead and save a significant amount of money, it was just as we're going into that 2008 financial thing that, you know, there's always a risk that can the company come out on the other side? We need to do it a different way. So we, sh we were open, we were honest, we shared with them the risks. 
the, the pros, the cons, the risks that were involved. And yes, 90%, 95% got on board. There's always a couple people who are going to say no. And some of them we had conversations with and said, give it a whirl. Some we had conversations with and said, is this really where you want to be? I mean, if you, if you don't want any change or anything else, this may not be where you want to be. We're not telling you to leave. But you may go ahead and, and think it over as you go home tonight or over the next week or two weeks. As you see things, you may decide this isn't for me anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we wanted to make it their decision. So none of our changes were about we want to get rid of you. or We are trying to go ahead and decrease the, the number of employees. Did that come out sometimes? Absolutely. But it was, it was always about, we're going to protect those employees. We'll find something else for them to go ahead and do. We can increase our capacity by having those additional employees and doing it that way because we've made everything else so much more efficient. So there's always a positive way to go ahead and look at it. And those employees who really don't like it, they're going to self-select out. They're going to say, this isn't for me. Because again, when our values don't align with that of our organization, it creates stress. It creates issues. We don't feel good when we go home at the end of every day. So ultimately, is that where I want to go ahead and be tomorrow? Change and improvement type activity can be, certainly in my own experience, much easier when there is that what they refer to as the burning bridge moment. You know, a pandemic comes along and you're forced to do stuff or, you know, the company's been losing money for 12 months and there's going to be redundancies happening. Like people have a habit of getting on board with those sort of things because there's there's some real stuff at stake. But the challenge comes when, hey, Chuck, I actually understand what you're saying and it's really good stuff. My business is going okay. Do you come up against that? And if you do, like, what are some tips and strategies that you put in place to try and make it relevant to a business and a leader of a business or a business owner that is sitting there and saying, my, my business is okay, I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm, I'm happy? Well, I mean, the hardest thing to go ahead and do is offer help or help somebody who doesn't want help. So they have to go ahead and be on board. Absolutely. Whether it's a business owner a department manager, even a supervisor. Um, and in some cases, you may not go ahead and be able to convince them. I mean, usually it's a small percentage, but, you know, I think the pandemic is, is a great example. Okay, how many businesses thought they were okay before the pandemic? Raise your hand. I mean, we'd see a room full of hands go up. You know, maybe, you know, 5%, maybe 10% would be honest. Say, eh, we were struggling, but, you know, we were we could handle it pandemic hit. Did anyone predict it? No. Did anyone forecast it? No. Was it on anyone's wildest contingency plan? No. So it happened. Things happen all the time. Do you want to wait until after they happen and be reactive? I mean, on the one hand, our culture is very much, you know, let's be the firefighter. I put out the fire, so therefore I'm a hero type of thing. But it really should be about the fire marshal who prevents the fire, prevents the building from burning down. That should go ahead and be the hero. Yes, he didn't go running into a, a burning building, but because the, burnt, because the building never caught fire, all those employees stay employed and everything starts, you know, continues to move on. 
that's really where the 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 hero label should go ahead and go because you know when something's on fire somebody's going to get singed somebody's going to get burnt something's going to happen i mean it, that it it's going to be that way so you know that's what i want to have the, the conversation with that leader about is yes you can you know you have the right you either own the company you own the process whatever but you know if you wait until you know the point where you're on fire what if somebody else is on fire at the same time one fire engine can only go to one place at one time somebody's going to go ahead and burn do you want it to be you are you willing to go ahead and take that risk you know ultimately it, it's their decision um as a consultant that's one of the things that i kind of had to learn because i came from a leadership role where i could make decisions where now all i can do is offer advice sometimes they take it sometimes they don't and i have to be able to go home at night and say well have i done everything i can to convince them and if i have i sleep well if not they'll get a follow-up email or a call or a face-to-face -face or whatever and we'll have that conversation one time again. But ultimately, they make that decision. So I just need to go ahead and lay it out for them to show them what are the pros and the cons, why you'd want to go ahead and do that now rather than later. I think as consultants, it's something that all consultants struggle with maybe in the early days that you know that what you do is valuable and you're hopefully doing that to help people. Yes, we have to earn a a comfortable living from it, I get that, but you ultimately you want to help people and add value like anything. Um, you also got to sleep easy, as you say, that there are some people that you just won't be able to influence. They're not ready, timing's not right, and whatever that looks like. Um, you want to help everyone, but not everyone wants helping, as you as you pointed Absolutely. In regards to a breakthrough moment, again, I imagine you've done hundreds, if not thousands of process mapping type sessions and process improvement activities. Is there a breakthrough moment that has come about through your journey that you thought, wow, yeah, this is this is an ongoing story that I need to share because it it really hammers home the point to people about being on the front foot. And I guess back to your point in the title of your book, Hope is not a strategy. If you're not being deliberate about this stuff, then you're really just living in hope. Well and I, I think part of that is, you know, plan for the unexpected. Take a few minutes away from the business because, I mean, we all get into a firefighting mode. I don't care if you're a CEO or, or you're down on the line, but step away from the business, take some time, and do some contingency planning. We didn't do it at one of, uh, at one of um, my previous employers, and we had a tornado hit on a Saturday evening. It was just an hour after we had let everybody go for the weekend. Tornado hit. So I get the call, hey, Chuck, tornado hit the dimension plant. You know, you need to get here on my way. I lived about 30 minutes away. So I'm driving in. I call the, I call the, the plant manager who's over me. Hey, boss, um, tornado just hit the, the plant. I'm on my way. I'll be there in about 10 more minutes. Um, you need to kind of get up here and see what this is like too. Chuck, I'm in the middle of watching the Tennessee football game. You're bullshitting me, right? Uh, yeah. I like to play jokes. I like I like to have some fun, but yeah, this is this would be way outside the box even for me. So no, 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 you need to meet me there. And so we met there. We got there about the same time because he lived a lot closer, and 
we had lost a facility that serviced, I think it was 10 other plants with plywood cut, cut plywood parts. Um, the roof was caved in. Um, the rain was just, in some places it was pulled off. The rain was just starting. Um, so we were going to go ahead and get a lot of water on this roof. And we're like, what are we going to do? Well, right about that time, we had to call corporate, let them know what had happened. And they said, well, put Chuck on the phone. Hello? And they're like, Chuck, you need to find a way to get through this. That, that was the only direction I was given, find a way through this, okay? Well, you're going to have to give me just a, a few minutes to go ahead and work this out. And, you know, I got to digest it and process it myself. So, and I knew that within hours, the whole community, the 200 employees would all be calling. So we needed to go ahead and be able to manage our employees and communicate to them and set expectations. We needed to go ahead and set expectations with suppliers because it would be very soon they would find out because we would get five or 10 trucks of plywood a day into this facility. Um, the plants were, would go ahead, our customers would start calling and saying, hey, we need to go ahead and get product because we have to make the, the finished furniture for our, our consumers. We, we were a public company, so they were going to have to go ahead and report something probably Monday, Tuesday of the following week, and nobody wants to report, hey, we had a tornado hit. We don't have a clue as to what we're going to do. So I said, hey, give me a day or two. So Sunday I spent the time, half day, figuring out what the team was, what team I needed to figure out the operations. We had another facilities and engineering guy. He was going to go ahead and take care of repair, but he said, Chuck, it's going to take me six months to, re to repair or replace this facility. So I got a scheduler. I got our procurement people. I got our shipping people. I got our, our operation people. We sat down in a, um, a conference room. We made it our war room, and we talked every aspect out. We mapped out processes. You know, where can we go ahead and get machinery? Well, we found within 500 miles, and it's a long distance, but we tried close as possible, to find other companies that had machinery that wasn't being used on off hours. We went ahead and said, well, we can send our people. We'll rent your facility during your third shift, during your second shift, whatever. That way our employees were going to go ahead and have a job because they need to feed their families. We can still go ahead and make parts. We can redirect um, our suppliers to go ahead and deliver to these other facilities rather than to ours. Well, we're going to need quality teams going out to go ahead and check because, again, we don't know the equipment there. It's going to be a little bit different. There's a lot of similarities, but there are some differences. Can they hold the tolerances? So we got to send quality teams out. Some of our people really hadn't traveled out of the county or out of the state, and we're going to be sending them two, three states away in some cases. So, I mean, it was a massive undertaking from a culture, from a quality, from a shipping, from a scheduling, from a production standpoint, from a people standpoint, and we pulled it off. We never went ahead and missed a delivery to our consumers, to our customers, um, to those plants, to anybody, and we were able to go ahead and work through it. But it's because we, had, we hadn't thought about it, but we got a couple of days that we had a chance. Would we have been much better if we had kind of thought through some of this before? Absolutely. So right after that, the company did spend a big effort to say, let's do some contingency planning. Let's, do, let's play some what-ifs. What if you lost your IT system? What if 
you know, you lost your electricity. What if you lost, you know, we lost a plant and it was just gone for a while and the other plants had to pick up. So again, you don't have to go down to every eventuality, but by taking at least some big chunks that even if that's not what happens, you can say, hey, I've thought through that and I could take a piece of this plant, a piece of that plant, a piece of this plant and put it together and I'm that much further ahead than if I had done nothing. And I think that's what kind of planning and processes and, and all this is all about is let's be ahead of the game rather than, I mean, you're always going to react at some point. But if I react because I've kind of played the game in my head a little bit, my reaction, my, my decisions are going to be so much better than if I'm making them for the first time because I've never thought about this before in my life. And I think the other part that I would add to that great story is that the ability to map something out, a process, and the complexity that you just shared, it brings everyone onto that same page. So you're, you're visualizing the same process, you're visualizing the same problems, so therefore it's really focusing your effort to get the best input, the best ideas, the best conversation, the best challenges around these things. That's where I think the power really sits in something as simple as flowchart mapping or, or value stream mapping or just visualizing your process. You, yeah, you get alignment. You get alignment across the organization. Absolutely. As to everybody understands exactly what's happening and how it happened. Because again, you can make a very detailed um, process flow, but you can also go ahead and say, well, you know, this is great for the person on the floor, but the executive, they, they kind of need to see, you know, the whole thing in six boxes. Can we go ahead and zoom out and take a look at it from a 60,000 foot level, and they can still get a good idea of what's going on. Absolutely. So that old saying, a picture tells a thousand words and process mapping is a picture at the end of the day. How do you, from a, let's, let's go to the improvement side. So again, lots of improvement opportunities come out of process mapping type activities. And I don't want to go through a process of prioritizing or anything like that, but how is, how important is it in the world of continuous improvement, wanting to improve things and creating those improvements actually on the ground to measure or to have some sort of control mechanisms in place around the improvement. Absolutely critical. I mean, if you don't measure, how do you know that you've improved the process? You might have made it worse. So, I mean, you need to have some basic process measures in place. I mean, it may be efficiency, maybe effectiveness, maybe both. I mean, it may be multiple measures. Because as you start to go ahead and play with one aspect, depending about how far upstream that is, it may totally go ahead and change what your deliverable looks like if you're not careful. So, you know, understanding what all those tolerances are, understanding what you can and can't accept. I mean, at one point in time, we did look at the various tolerances in a chair frame. Well, we found out that initially, um, if you, if you added all the tolerances and everything was on the outside of tolerance, the chair wouldn't go ahead and go together. So we obviously had too loose of tolerances in our process. So we had to go ahead and make adjustments that up until that point, maybe we'd just been lucky. Don't know. Um, but I mean, 
So by looking at the process, it's only kind of through that methodology that you can start to say, okay, what do we need to improve? This is what we want to improve. This is how we want to improve it. Did we actually improve it? Um, and kind of start playing that. But performance metrics on everything is important. Now, we don't want to measure everything just to measure everything. If you can get away with five performance metrics on a process rather than somebody else saying, let's do 50, go with the five. We had a, a great controller, phenomenal guy. He wanted to go ahead and have us, met as we're changing system, let's measure the variance on every little aspect. Well, and we could collect that data, but even data collection, even with a scanner, we found out it, it took one and a half seconds per scan to go ahead and scan information. When you started adding those up across multiple scans within the process, it could go ahead and start adding up to be significant amount of time. Is that really worth it? Are we really going to go ahead and use that data to make an improvement someplace else? Sometimes the answer was yes, and we did. We put in those scan points. Sometimes, though, the answer was no, and we said, it's just not a value add at this point. Could we add them later if we absolutely needed them? Yeah. So, I mean, look at what your, what your process metrics are and make sure that you're not just measuring one metric because you can measure effectiveness. Hey, are we making widgets? A great example, kind of humorous example that I learned during my ISO days is there could have been a company that made um, uh, life jackets out of concrete. They were the right length. They were the right width. They were the right height. But ultimately, functionally, if you put them on and wore them in the water, you'd sink like a stone. So obviously, they missed a performance metric in the material to go ahead and do that. Now, do I think a company really did that? No. But that was a great story that everybody talked about as we were you know, putting in um, ISO 9000 back, at the, back in the day. So you have to be careful what your metrics are and are your metrics really measuring the things that you need and are they going to really go ahead and matter to the customer? Because ultimately, everything comes down to the customer. If it's not a value add from the customer's perspective, why are we doing it? Absolutely. The story of the concrete life jacket is definitely memorable. It sounds like a mafia business, <laughs> something like that, mate, <laughs> that's made that one up. But anyway, we won't, we, won't, we won't go there. What tips, strategies have you got in your journey around bringing in feedback loops? And what I mean by that is, you know, again, people on the ground working the process, but being proactive in, hey, you know, I think I found a better way. How do I, how do we make this happen? What tips and strategies have you got around to get that sort of engagement uh, on, at the process level? Well, I think a lot of companies have the open door policy, and I think that's wonderful. But I don't know that that goes near far enough. I mean, if those supervisors, if those managers aren't going out and talking to people regularly, building that trust, building that relationship where the people can go ahead and say, hey, I think there's a better way here. I mean, some companies certainly go ahead and put a, a formalized process Hey, put in, uh, you know, give me your process improvement, drop it in a box. The downside of those, while, while those are great, you can get a whole lot of ideas, sometimes the downside of those are, well, you didn't act on my idea. Well, because leadership should go ahead and set, what are, their, what are our goals, what are our objectives, not necessarily the employees. So the employees say, well, we can go ahead and improve this 10%, but if that's not our goal, 
for this quarter, this year, this month, whatever, that leadership sets, it's probably going to get ignored. And we don't always give the feedback to the person who dropped that note in the box saying, improve this. So that's why I kind of like the, the face-to-face or the, the conversational thing. I mean, I always kept a notepad out there with me as I was walking around. And you're right, I'd, I'd pick up ideas from people left and right. And I'd say, hey, I think this, that's a great idea. But as you know, because it gave me an opportunity, as you know, this quarter, we're focusing on this goal and this objective. So that would be great for, you know, maybe another quarter. But, you know, right now, do you have any other ideas that could focus on this goal and this objective? And, you know, well, not right now, but you'd be surprised how many people came back to me two, three, four days later. I've been thinking about what you told me. Um, We used to go ahead and have, you know, town hall meetings, but sometimes those get so big that not everybody's going to talk. But we'd also have kind of lunch with the boss. It was a great time. We'd sit down, uh, myself, uh, our HR manager. We'd have no supervisors, no other managers in there. I was production manager. Uh, Maybe the plant manager would be there. And we'd sit down with 6 to 12 people. We wanted to keep it relatively small. We'd We'd actually buy them lunch. And we'd have the conversation, what issues are you having? What improve, you know, what's going right? What's going wrong? What can we do different? You know, because just those three questions is kind of how we'd start it. And because we wanted to, one, celebrate success. And we want to let them know there's a lot of things going right. Even though we'll talk about a lot of things going wrong, we want to talk about what's going right first. What's going wrong? Okay, what would you do to go ahead and change that? Because, again, they like, some of them like to say, well, you know, you're the boss. You have to come up with all the ideas. No, 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 no. It's not the way it works. The boss doesn't go ahead and work out there on the floor. It doesn't see the pain that you're you're going through. So you'd be surprised at how many ideas you can come up with because you're the one living with it. So, you know, help give us some ideas. Now, might we go ahead and change a little bit or, and make them a little more convoluted or whatever? Absolutely. But, I mean, it was their thoughts. It was their ideas that gave us the seeds that to go ahead and grow a, a new continuous improvement effort. Um, so to me, a lot of it needs to be face-to-face communication. That's just pure leadership. Yes, you can go ahead and have a more formal process. I think that's great. But I think that needs to have a feedback loop in it, whether you put them up on the board and say, hey, this is what we got in over the past week. These are the ones we're going to be able to act on and about when, because everybody wants to know when. And these are the ones we're going to hold in reserve because that's not our focus at this point in time, um, you know, that would be a great way to go ahead and do it. But I think having those conversations is the absolute best way. It sounds like to me what you're saying is that relationships are pretty critical. The leader actually being proactive in getting out there, supervisor, whoever, getting out there again to the workplace and talking, having genuine conversations on the ground. There's a hell of a lot of power in that process not only not only just for continuous improvement, just for anything in the business that we're looking at and understanding what's happening on the ground, those sorts of things. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's never an excuse for leadership. I mean, leadership and that face-to-face, that, that conversation is always the best way. Again, you can put a, a suggestion box in. You can do a lot of other things, but a lot of those don't have that, that feedback loop. I mean, it's kind of a one-way, it's going up or whatever, but it's not always coming back. But when you're having a face-to-face conversation, it's kind of hard to go ahead and say, well, you just talk to me, I'm just going to go ahead and, and take notes, and then I'm going to walk away from you. 
that's not leadership. I mean, that's, you know, a steno pool or, or a secretary type thing. So, you know, to me, it's all about leadership and, and creating that culture in the organization, which stems from leadership, to have those conversations, to get out and sit down and, and talk to people out there where they're working or, or bring them off, give them a chance to take a quick break and have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to explain, I know you've had a, a, a fantastic experience and background more in the manufacturing spaces. And my background has been more in the service industry spaces and my client base reflects that certainly at this stage. Um, it's a lot of the work I do or a chunk of the work I do is around the importance of one-on-one -on -one meetings for a number of reasons, but that is being deliberate. So you, you mentioned about a formal process. Well, I very much support a formal process of leaders having one-on-one -on -one meetings. Again, if you're in a hybrid type environment, having that set in your calendar and they're the sort of questions you get to ask through that. So again, yeah. I just want to reinforce that to our listeners and watchers is not just having to go face to face, there's super powerful process in that, but you don't have to just be in a manufacturing environment to take this on. You can be in a service industry, you can have people working all around the world. You just have to be deliberate about making that time, whether that's like we're having a conversation today virtually or whether you're actually lucky enough to be in the room together. Absolutely agree, Brendan. And, and I think continuous improvement isn't just for the manufacturing floor. It's not just for products. I mean, it can be used in the HR environment, the accounting environment. It can go ahead and be used in sales, merchandising, um, the, the whole service industry. Absolutely. But a lot of times we kind of think of continuous improvement. We think of a lot of those improvement programs, process mapping as a manufacturing type thing. Well, we're, we're making pieces and parts and widgets and and products. It's not. I mean, it can be done just as well for a call center or for an HR onboarding process um, as it can be done out there on the, the manufacturing floor. And I think that's where a lot of companies fall short is they may go ahead and have a great, great uh, continuous improvement process out on the manufacturing floor, but they leave out all the other silos, all the other functional departments and areas in their company and say, well, you know, why can't we go ahead and bring down our, our overhead cost? Because you're not, you're not trying to improve it. Absolutely, mate. I'm, I'm sort of smirking to myself a little bit because even in our personal lives, we are running processes every day right now. Again, I don't personally have a process map around my morning routine, but there's a process around it. And the night before I swim and run, pretty much every morning at our local beach here. Very fortunate to live close to something like that. And each night I lay all my stuff out in the towel and wrap it and stuff. And do you know, almost every night, I need some process improvement happening in my routine, mate, because almost every night I forget to grab my key cup, which I put my goggles into, ready for the swim. And I'm like, oh, bugger, I've got to go back downstairs to get it. So <laughs> what, what do you recommend I do to help myself, mate? <laughs> something visual. I mean, I, I love the visual management. So, I mean, put a bright color on it or, or something like that. I always set it in a place near the door where you can't help but see it when you walk out. I mean, all sorts of different types of things. But I'd be willing to bet you have a, a very solid process on just doing this podcast. I mean, with the emails that you sent me in preparation and with what you said you're going to follow up with after. I mean, you've got a very strong process 
And I mean, yes, you can go ahead and say the podcast is a product, but you know, it, it's not always a physical product. It's something that we listen to, something that we can watch. So you're right. I mean, a process can be put into anything and we do processes. And if we want them to be successful on a repeatable basis, we need to go ahead and define them, align them and, and make them work and look to improve them. Mate, just to support 100% what you're saying is that um, just to my right here, I have still part of that process with those famous sticky notes on the wall about how we mapped out our podcast process and the engagement with guests and things like that. So super, super powerful. I love I love post-it notes, mate. I can never have too many of them in, in various colors. I, I love the marker pens. I love the butcher paper. Get me in a room doing some of that stuff. It's It's awesome. So... Yeah, definitely fully on board with this stuff. Mate, Absolutely. Guess to our final question that we ask all of our guests. What's the one thing that has helped you become a more confident leader? Um, for me, it was having mentors who, who allowed me to make mistakes. Because again, part of the whole human experience is we're not going to be perfect. We need to be able to make mistakes in controlled environments and then sometimes my mentor would go ahead and catch me before I made a mistake because it was going to be a big enough one or it might hurt my career or something else. But there were other mistakes that I know they were they were sitting back there, they were just nodding their heads, and they were saying, yep, this is not going to be go off perfect for Chuck, but he's going to learn so much from it. And it's true. We learn so much from our mistakes, sometimes far more than when somebody's telling us, do this, don't do that. Go around this way. Yeah, we're not always paying attention to that kind of stuff. Sometimes we have to stub our own toe, feel the pain to go ahead and, and, and improve. So whether it's a process owner or a business leader, a supervisor, uh, the owner, entrepreneur, you know, trust in your people enough to go ahead and at least give them the ability to make mistakes. Now, they can be controlled mistakes. They don't have to be something that, that risks the whole company. But let them make some mistakes, let them grow, because I think the, the biggest aspect of leadership is really generating that next generation leadership that comes behind us. A lot of make makes perfect sense to me. Mentors are super powerful. Um, I've had lots of first-hand experience with that as well. Mate, massive thank you again. You've been a fantastic guest. This is a topic that we have not touched on the cultural leadership before, so uh, when you came across our uh, interests, I uh, was really keen to have a conversation with you because there was clear level of experience and you can talk very confidently, which you've proven today. I hope leaders and people in the business world uh, take a lot of out of take a lot out of a discussion like this where they can just see the power of improvement. Again, even if you don't know or have the confidence to get a people a group of people in the room to have a conversation and to start to understand this process, just having the mindset around asking, what can we do to improve? How could we improve? There's a great first step. And then the rest, if you ask the right questions, the answers will be revealed over time, mate. I think you've done a fantastic job in sharing that today. So thank you again. Been a fantastic guest on the Cultural Leadership. Thank you so much, Brendan. Process improvement isn't considered a sexy part of doing business. But the reality is, it's a difference between a company succeeding or failing and you having more time in your personal life. These are my three key takeaways from my conversation with Chuck. My first key takeaway, confident leaders have a business strategy. They understand that hope alone 
isn't a viable plan. Instead of just wishing for outcomes, they plan their approach. Through deliberate actions and daily commitments, they steadily progress towards realising their strategic plan. My second key takeaway, confident leaders focus on process improvement. They begin by setting clear standards, laying a strong foundation. By visually mapping out a procedure, it creates a shared understanding, making it straightforward for everyone to see the workflow and suggest improvements. My third key takeaway, confident leaders measure improvement. This helps to keep the improvements on track. Without the right checks, good changes might slip back. It also helps to see if things are continuing to get better. Measuring the improvements is a vital step of process improvement. So in summary, my three key takeaways were, confident leaders have a business strategy, confident leaders focus on process improvement, and confident leaders measure improvement. Let me know your key takeaway on YouTube or at theculturaofleadership.com. Thanks for joining me and remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation.